Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mindful Metal Jacket. I am Joe List, and I am so happy that you are here listening. I hope you are subscribed to the podcast and or subscribed to my YouTube. I guess and. I hope you're doing both. I hope you're subscribed to the podcast and my YouTube if you're watching. Apologies for my hair. I didn't mean to turn you on this much first thing in the morning. Welcome to the show, folks. Um, This week... I'm talking with my friend, Lucas Conley, a comedian. I know everyone's been really excited about the professionals, the doctors, and the therapists we've had on, and uh, we'll have more. we got another uh, cool one like that coming on. Um, but this is uh, back, back to the beginning of the podcast, talking to a real-life first-class comedian, my pal Lucas Conley, and um, I thought it was a great one. I really enjoyed the conversation. It was another one that flew by. Lucas is a comic uh, who I think was born upstate New York, I believe he said, and then grew up in Wyoming. And uh, he's got a really interesting story. And uh, he's just a good guy. So we get into some uh, drug abuse and some alcoholism and being raised by two moms living in Wyoming, rehab, anxiety, all those fun things. It was a great conversation. Lucas and I have a lot in common and a lot not in common that we uh, talked about. So I think you're going to enjoy it. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. I hope that you're doing well. I hope that uh, you're healthy and doing your meditations, however you do it. I am a uh, waking up Sam Harris guy. I also listen to the 10% Happier podcast. Recommend that to anybody right now. I am currently reading uh, Unwinding Anxiety from past guest Judd Brewer. haven't quite finished that one yet. I'm slow. And uh, I also have the new Tara Brock book, uh, Radical Acceptance. Or no, Radical Compassion. Radical Acceptance is the old one. Recommend anything by Tara Brock. Her podcast is also fantastic. You can check her out. And uh, we're working on trying to get her on the podcast as well. So got some exciting guests coming up. I feel pretty good. Celebrated a birthday this week. I want to thank everybody that messaged me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Overwhelming amount of love. I thank you for that. I appreciate it. Birthdays are always weird. I've entered the final year of my 40s. I mean 30s. Damn it. That was like Freudian. Final year of my 30s. So I got to really accomplish a life to learn Spanish this year. And also have sex with my um, neighbor. So, all right, I made that up. That's that's not true, of course. But anyways, I hope that you're doing well. I appreciate you listening. And uh, right now is as good a time as any to take a moment to ask yourself, what is really wrong right now? And the answer is almost always nothing particularly if you're listening to this podcast or watching it. You're just fine. So take a breath, take a breather, find some stillness, and relax and enjoy this podcast. We're here for a while longer, I think. Or we might be gone tomorrow. So either way, enjoy this moment. Enjoy this podcast. And, um, you know, text someone, call them, tell them you love them or that you want to make love to them, whatever it is. That one might go poorly. But anyways, the point is, I appreciate you listening. This is where the intro gets too long. Come to some live shows. Comedy clubs are back open in New York City. Comedy Cellar Stand, New York Comedy Club. There's a bunch of great ones. 
And uh, I'm going back on the road, Omaha, Nebraska, April 23rd and 24th, Austin, Texas, Paramount Theater, May 15th, Des Moines and Kansas City in June. Bunch of fun stuff coming up. Check it out. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, get ready to enjoy this conversation with my friend, the hilarious and wonderful Lucas Conley. But first, let's give you a little love from one of my favorite philosophers, Buddhists, Alan Watts. I read this quote this morning and I really enjoyed it. From Alan Watts, this is the real secret of life, to be completely engaged with what you are doing in the here and now. And instead of calling it work, realize it's play. Mm -hmm. All right, folks, enjoy this conversation. Thank you for listening. I love you. We're here. This is it. It's always awkward to start podcast. What do you think is more awkward, starting a podcast or starting a comedy set? Oof. Uh, man, it <laughs> depend, really depends on how the room is. Uh, right. So if the room's bad, you're like, oh, God, I, I have to make this good. All right. <laughs> it's, it's just, I, I think Louis did a thing about it in one of his specials about like the first thing you always say on stage is always just so bizarre because you're like, okay, hello. Oh, yeah, exactly. exactly. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, fucking, it's really bizarre. I did a show last night at the Fat Black Pussycat and they have, it's all like optics, but they have like a, a plastic or whatever, like a a, a glass or a plastic i guess whatever like wall between the stage and the audience as like a covid protection which to me is just silly it's like everybody's taking the risk to be in there i mean it just feels like optics but you can fully see your reflection like you're just look it's like it's like performing in front of a mirror and you can see uh, you know, people yeah. in the audience and it's just you and then there's this weird disconnect so you're just like eating shit and then you can't even see the audience. You're just looking at yourself. It's just horrendous. Um, there was an improv that had a TV and you could see yourself in one of the TVs and you could just be like, wow, I really do that crunching hand motion when I don't feel good. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. I just did another one in Long Island like a week ago and it was in a bar and it was like there's all these weird blind spots and stuff because it's a, it's a, it's not designed for comedy. So they had every TV had a, there was like a camera on stage and every TV had you as a monitor. And it was like, uh, it was like 12 monkeys or something or, uh, whatever movie they show clockwork orange or some shit. It just showed videos of you everywhere. And it was absolutely horrendous. Uh, uh, nothing's, nothing's worse than watching yourself do the thing. When I, I was, I, when I was a kid, I had speech um, speech problems. And so I'd go to speech pathology class. And sometimes they'd be like, hey, do you know what you just did? Like if I messed up a word and I would be like, no. Like I would like be defensive. And then they'd be like, well, let's get out the tape. And then they would play the tape back for me. And then I have to hear my voice say the word wrong. God. Oh. 
That's horrendous. I mean, first of all, like I can't I don't know about you. I can't watch or listen to anything I do or even read anything I wrote from the past. Like sometimes uh, whatever Facebook will be like, here's a post of yours. And just reading something I wrote in 2012 makes me want to just throw up. I was like, oh, my God, I don't know where commas should go. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So let's I want to talk about this a little bit. So you had what was your speech was a. What, what was wrong with your speech and why did you have to go? All right. Um, I got, I was, I have a thing called um, SPD, which is called sensory processing disorder. Basically it's just like the highest form of dyslexia. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so uh, just everything was messed up. So I would just like, re- when I would read, I would like read, I'd like mess up words. Like, like I would spell the word out and then I would mess up that. And then I would say the word, like I would say like Armageddon. Or something like weird so, stuff where I, they wait. Why are you saying it that way? And I go, well, that's what I read. Interesting. And so what is the like science behind that? It's just the, the letters get mixed yeah. up or whatever. Yeah. And, I, and then I will just say it out loud. Right. So is it better now or is that does that ever go away or is that something you still struggle with? So I still sometimes struggle with it, and but like now I've kind of became I've been so used to it that that's kind of like a funny like I make it into like a yep I meant to say what I just did like it's like I always just double down on it right but and does it happen when, when you're a kid? Ugh. Yeah, no, I remember um, being a kid and there was like I remember feeling grateful because I was always so angry. I had like horrendous anxiety and fear and all this stuff and couldn't walk into school the first day of kindergarten. It was just like sobbing um, and like everything in life. Then you go in or for me anyways, I went in and then left being like, that was great. I love it here. But like the first day I was like, I can't go in. I was like, I will not go in there. I can't go in there. And it was like kicking and screaming kind of thing. But once I was in there, I was like, didn't have problems particularly, but I can remember like my friend, uh, a, a friend of mine from high school had like a horrendous like starter problem in, into high school where it's like, then it's like now like girls are involved. It's post puberty. And he just like mm-hmm. couldn't speak properly. Like he just couldn't like get words out. And then people would try to, um, what do you call it? Like do the word for him which i guess is like the worst thing to do and i just remember thinking oh my god i'm so grateful i don't have to deal with that yeah it's mocking is the worst right then then it's the helping right right? it's like no no i'm not i'm not uh not socially inept right i i still am able to be here and i'm understanding what's happening like i'm not like i'm not a kid with like asperger's who doesn't understand social graces i'm like no i'm just saying this wrong please right um and so what was what did the like speech classes entail besides them videotaping you um they uh they would make me do a lot of uh tongue twister kind of stuff so i'd be like lucas lion licks lemon lime lollies lusciously it sounds like torture. <laughs> it, it, everything, everything you expect, like in the time I was going to therapy, everything at that time seems like torture. Like when you explain child therapy to anybody, they're like, wait, what did they do? Right. Because I went to occupational therapy too. And so they would like hit you. Oh my and God. And bump into you and stuff. Because uh, 
because my senses were so extreme that they needed to like desensitize me. So like when people ran into me in the hallway in school, I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't jerk and push them away from me. Wait, wait. So what is occupational therapy? That sounds like for your job, but yeah, you're a so, child. So not, but it's for your, like how your operational functions, like how you like, so they would like, it's like where I learned how to cut scissors. I use scissors and stuff and like, get comfortable holding things wow and what age is this how old are you this is i started going to occupational therapy at three or four wow interesting so and i i was going to therapy almost every day till i was 12 like almost every day damn this sound i mean i assume this must have caused some amount of anxiety i always just want to talk about anxiety and depression because that's what i can relate to so that must i imagine that led to that at some point or almost oh, immediately it well this is the thing it made me stop caring about kids opinions and only caring about adults opinions which is makes you kind of insane right because right? right. in school like a lot of like people are like well, they're making fun of me, and I go, I don't really care because the teacher's not mad at me right now. Right. Interesting. And then, and then when I hit twelve, it was like all of a sudden I was, I was. Not many people would know I was like learning disabled then. Like I was just like, you could bump into me. You could, I could speak. You know, most of the time I wouldn't mess up my speech patterns. So then I was like just a normal kid again. Right. But so you're going to nor Did you go to public school or a private school? I went to a I went to a, a Montessori prep school, uh, and then at twelve I went to General Pop High School. Gotcha. And and where is that? Where did you grow up? Uh, Laramie, Wyoming. Wow, I think I've heard you say that once recently somewhere, and I was like, I didn't know you were from Wyoming. For some oh, reason, I think of you as like a New Yorker. I don't know why. I guess because I just I met you here and I've known you here. I think of you as like a Brooklyn kid for some reason. Well, well my moms are are New Yorkers. Oh wow! So they have the they have strong New York accents, like the hard co the coffee and the all the like stereotype like Buffalo. They're from Buffalo and Albany. Wow. Okay. So this is so interesting. So this is another thing. So you you grew up with two moms. Yes. And you were born and raised in Wyoming? I was born in Buffalo. Uh, my mom was finishing her master's. So she, like, at, like, a very, like, maybe one or two, she gets her doctorate in sociology of law. So she's a lawyer who, is a te who teaches law. Okay. And then, uh, then she got a tenure track at the University of Wyoming. So uh, we moved there when I was five or six. And at this point, she's with your other mom or did she meet her in yes. Wyoming? Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm a, I'm one of the OG first in this country with two openly gay parents raising you from birth. Wow. And then Wyoming feels, I mean, that feels like Brokeback Mountain to me. I mean, like how, Oh yeah. I mean, how accepted were they? I mean, that's more their story than your story, I guess, but I assume you've talked to a, them about it at some point like how accepted were they in wyoming in the 1980s well uh luckily she was a professor so at least she was in an academia world where people are a little more tolerant uh sure. than the general population of wyoming 
Uh, Laramie is also right next to Colorado. So okay. it's actually kind of closer to Fort Collins than it is to any other bigger Wyoming city. Got it. Um, boy, that is so fascinating. Because first of all, I think you're the only person I know that grew up with parents like that. I mean, like I've never, I don't know anybody else that grew up with gay parents. Yeah. Um, Tyler Fisher's dad came out gay when he was 15 or 17 or something. And like he was, they were, he was a teenager. Oh, wow. I didn't realize so, that. So there are like some people that like it happened to them later on, but not from birth. Like they didn't have to deal with the society. There was no books yet. There was no like Heather has two mommies books. Right. Yet there was none of it. So when is the earliest you sort of realized, oh, my parents are a little bit different? And did, did you learn that? Did your parents address that before anybody else did? Or did you learn it by kids going, hey, what's going on here? Or did you on your own go, hey, this is a little different? So I, I didn't think it was weird um, I, for a very long time. Though there were, I'm sure my moms were doing a lot of being like, people might be mean to you about us. That's their thing, not your thing. That's not you. Right. And they kept on doing that when I was a kid. But the first time I remember it, there was this kid named Cass and uh, his parents wouldn't let me come over to play. Wow. So that was, that was the first time I remember being like, oh, this is a thing that people do not like. Right. <laughs> so I, I laugh. I mean, I always laugh. And to me, it sounds, especially these, this day and age, saying it out loud sounds so horrible, but like, any kind of like bigotry and racism, like overt bigotry and racism is funny to me because the people are like, they're morons. And that's kind of funny. To have yes. People be really stupid. The idea of people oh, being like, yeah. I don't want that kid over here. I mean, my reaction is to laugh and maybe that's coming from a place of privilege, but it's really funny to me to be like that kid can't come over here because he has two moms, something that he can't control. Right. Also, the, the thing was, it was like, I don't know if it was, it could have just been me, right? I could have just been right. too weird. Like, but like in my mind, I was just like, I remember not being allowed to come over. And it was like, it had to be because my mom's like, I thought that, like, I don't even know if that's a true statement. Like I just knew to my heart that that it wasn't because of me. Right. Right. That's hilarious. If they're like, no, we have no problem with his parents. He's just, a, he, he reads weird. <laughs> we don't care for the way he reads, but so, and when like you had like events or whatever and your two mothers showed up were the other did the other kids ever like tease you or make fun of you or did it just kind of yeah so like i i think that's where kind of all my comedy started right is that i would hear somebody say something funny and then i would take it right you say something mean about my mom's now that's my joke right interesting yeah so i mean i your mom's so fat and i'd be like which one right, right, right. Quick. Yeah, i got this yeah. right right boy that is like so interesting to me to be in i mean it sounds like a, a movie to be in wyoming with two moms in schools yeah. um the whole thing but uh and are your mom's still together so my mom separated when i was seven and then they got new partners um like immediately, like how lesbians do. And so I was then the kid in school with four moms. So I'm like, I like 
like playing soccer. I have four moms on the side. That cheering is for me. Amazing. Have you ever written anything about this, like a, a movie or a show? Or I haven't movie? written a short, but I I tried once. It was like it was like uh, I thought it was like raised by beavers. It was like a duck, you know. <laughs> it was raised <laughs> by four beavers. It was like a cartoon. It's a, it was a dumb idea. <laughs> I should have just thought a real thing, but. That's amazing. And and so when when did you come back east from Wyoming? Or not, I guess I'm saying back, but I guess you were just born here. Um, my mom's uh one of one of my mom's part partner, Max, got a gig in in Florida. And so at like twelve, they moved to Florida. So I would go and like visit Florida uh occasionally. And right. then when I uh, turned 18 and I wasn't doing very well in Wyoming, they were like, you should go to Florida, get away from all your friends. Right. So then I went to Florida and then I, and then from there I went to rehab. Right. It, you know, cause it didn't matter where I was. Right. Of course. Okay. So let's go to that. So Wyoming, you start running into some trouble. I mean, rehab, and I imagine that's drugs or, and or alcohol, Yep, how does yep. how does that come about? Um, the moment I was like like that twelve year like right when I was turned twelve and I started becoming like a traditionally normal kid, it was like all my friends now were just ADD kids. Right, they were all in like special classes, so like we all just would start like they would just give me their pills for fun on a Friday night. <laughs> Hell yeah. And and so what is that? That's like Ritalin and stuff like that? Kind of yeah, like speed that, type of shit? We, yeah, we didn't really like Ritalin very much. We were like an Adderall, Dexedrine, the, the harder ones. The Ritalin is like nothing. So when does Adderall come about? Because I'm like, when I was in, I feel like we're around the same age. I, I'm about to, I turned 39 tomorrow. 36. How old are you? 36. Okay, so when did I, maybe I was just like sheltered because I feel like I didn't hear about Adderall until I was in my 20s. But I so guess it was not as used then or am I just a sheltered no. douche? No, this is the thing that happened. No one knew. The ADD kids didn't know that that people liked it as drugs till a certain period of time. Right. They just were like, oh, I, they used to give me this med and I didn't like it very much. That was what most like ADD kids. And then eventually they found out that those meds people liked if they don't have a ADHD. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting thing about drugs is like all these drugs. I mean, I'm saying some obvious stuff here, I guess, but all these drugs serve purposes. But if you take them when you don't need it, like I used to take painkiller, like Vicodin and it's unbelievable. Like if you're not dealing with pain, if you have pain <laughs> and you take a Vicodin, it kills the pain. It's a painkiller. Yeah. But if you feel pretty good, obviously not emotionally, you're not feeling great, but physically, if you feel good and take a painkiller, you're like, this is unbelievable. I mean, this is fantastic. And same with uh, what's the sleep with Ambien. Like if you take oh, Ambien yeah. and try to stay awake, you're like, this is fucking great. It's a great. Right. And that, that's exactly what like I'm because I have uh, like basically a sensory thing, but I take those kinds of drugs, I actually become like a more a decent person usually. Like I take it and I'm like paying attention and I do my homework and I actually do the right things on those things. Like I used to smoke meth and then like do homework. 
Right. Wow. So all my friends were like taking apart coasters and stuff. I was like in the <laughs> corner just being like, oh, I'm going to work on this drawing or read this book. Which I imagine makes it trickier to stop because you're taking these drugs and and getting shit done. I mean, that to me, that would make it very hard to be like rehab. What are you kidding? I just wrote a script. So when I got put away into the psych ward uh, at my job, they were so disappointed. They were like, when are you coming back? (laughs) I want to get there. So what age are you when you start? abusing drugs i mean I've, i just said abusing abusing <laughs> drugs well because it sounds oh, like i'm ass. saying that because yeah. you're, you're you are using them for the proper use and at some point it becomes problematic i'm taking it yeah i i started doing just messing around probably right when i was i would say like 13 14 is when i start doing stuff where people go that wouldn't that's not exactly okay that's that's a lot Right. And are you aware that that's a lot? I mean, are you like uh, deliberately going, I'm going to take more of these to feel a little different or is it, it starts off meaning uh, like you're trying meaning. Well, well-meaning is the word. I lose words also. Yeah. As you can see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, at my time I was just, I did not like the way I felt. I did not like the way my brain processed information. Uh, that probably comes from like me going to all those therapists and stuff and just being told I was broken a billion times. So I was just was like anything that could put in me that could fix me, that would be really great right now. Right. And so you start cranking up your uses and do you start drinking around this time and doing more uh, like standard? Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm saying yes. standard, but to me, like yes. drinking and smoking pot feels more like ah, we're teenagers than so. Yeah, go in ahead, high school was my first intervention by my friends where they were like, you got to stop taking so many pills wow. and you should just drink and smoke. And so <laughs> I tr- did that, you know, basically, you know, occasionally I'd have a pill relapse if someone offered them to me for free. But I, tr- I did a pretty good job through through high school. Right. It's it's so funny. The idea of when you're young being like, you got to stop doing that. Keep doing this. <laughs> but I mean, those are like that, like teenager problem solving. This is yes. still good. Still fucking yes. do this crazy shit. But that's too much. Exactly. It was people. People used to call me an addict. They're like, they used to call me an addict. Like I was being called an addict at 15. I mean, is there any part of you that's like that had like street cred for that where you kind of like yeah that's right oh. i mean this is new i knew identity oh i 100 uh they had a scandalous glue was a thing that people said like more than okay like I, like became kind of known because there was always like a scandal or some reason why your drugs were like less when if you wanted to buy drugs from me why it was less than it should be wow oh so you were selling drugs too yeah yeah yeah, oh, just wow. the, you know, the get more drugs. Right. And this is all as a teenager. This is so interesting to me because as a teenager, I was like, I was cool, cool. Like I, people liked me and uh, I was like an athlete, <laughs> but I wasn't like selling drugs, doing drugs cool. I mean, this is like, you're no joke. Oh, I was, uh, but like, again, I was like, yeah, I'm, I, I'm cool to you, but I want to be cool to the adults. Right. right. And it was never cool to that. Right. I mean, that is fascinating. It's interesting, too, because I'm like, I remember having 
like really wanting adult always adults and still to this day wanting older people to like me that's who i was most concerned with and throughout my life now i'm just doing my own therapy i've always been um drawn to older people and wanted their respect and even now like i i was joking with this like i'm like first of all i married an older woman but she's like four years older than me but most of the people I talk to are like 10, 15, 20 years older than me. All of my, not all of my closest friends, but so many of them are like 15 and 20 years older than me, which I don't know what that is. I don't know how I went off in this, but you, you talking about it made me think about it. And I'm like, but I, I think for me, I just realized in this moment, it's because I, I wasn't getting what I needed from my parents, which sounds a little bit different than your experience, but I wasn't yeah. getting that kind of approval from my father, or maybe you didn't have a father figure and that's why you were looking for right. it. I didn't um, have a father figure and I didn't have, and I had uh, a very, very highly intelligent, uh, very, uh, you know, work kind of workaholic parents too. So. Right. Yeah. And, and your mother's a professor. Is that right? Is that what you said? She's a, she was a professor of law. Yeah. So is that intimidating to you to be like, Oh my God, my mother's so smart and professional and. I'm in yes. these special need classes or whatever, or I don't yeah, know exa- exactly. People telling me how incredible my and how how much of a genius that's like a thing you would say about my mom, right? To me, yeah, God, that's so. It's it's so amazing how I'm I'm just so fascinated with psychology from like a very young age of how little subtle things that seem innocuous can just fuck with a, a young person's mind um yeah. it, it just feels like the slightest thing that no one's even conscious of they're like oh my god you should be proud of your mother is amazing and meanwhile it's like putting this thing in of like all right my mother's a genius and i suck and i, I should be better and i hate yeah. myself and it's like a fascinating thing the um unintended consequences of all human psychology yeah and, and no one no one did it to me no one was like complimenting my mom to me you know like it right. wasn't like they were like this will really hurt his feelings for life but uh it did <laughs> right i mean that's what i mean it's just so bizarre there's all these things and i i'll, I'll have like resentment towards my friends or, or not my friends but my my family my parents my extended family but none of them were like let's really bury some like obsessive compulsive behavior into this kid they were just trying to do whatever they were doing the best they saw fit um, yeah i guess i should apologize to all of them um but now <laughs> is your biological father did you have a relationship with him at all so lenny was supposed to be a part of my life in like an uncle role but he stayed in uh in buffalo new york so occasionally we'd go visit her friends in buffalo and then i would see him and it was you know it's such a weird thing seeing this person that looks like you and is annoying like you you know like right (laughs) you're like oh uh, he has all the things i don't like about myself because i haven't seen it you know right now, so I've been, and I hope I'm not getting too personal or far in there. So, was that a relationship? Like they were in a relationship and then split? Oh or? no, no, he's a sperm donor. He's like okay, true, oh, like yeah, old school, old school. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I'm, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm not 100. Like, there's sometimes like I was like people like ask me like weird history stuff, and I go, oh, I don't really know because I kind of like 
try to stay away a little bit of my identity from my parents, right? In the sense right. where it's like, I don't know if it was even at the time in 1986, was it even allowed for women to get artificially inseminated if they were a, were a partner? Right. Interesting. God, it's so fascinating. I always feel like I had this, um, I was going to say argument, but discussion. And I don't know how you feel, but I'm like, I do feel like we, it's easy to get um, down about society and the state of things. But ultimately, and I think this is actually, I don't want to say proven, but it does feel like we ultimately are a progressive species. Like we keep progressing, yes. even though there's spikes. But it's amazing because it, it sounds like we're talking about the 50s by talking about some of these things. But this is only 30 years no. ago and even no. 20 years ago. What was it? It was like seven years ago. That women that they were able to get married it was not you know like that's yeah yeah like it's um but it's what so we are progressing which is nice but it is funny how you just talk about these things and you're like back in my day and you're like it was like 15 <laughs> years ago it's so uh yeah. strange but uh anyways okay so so now you're in high school and you're still in wyoming when you start yep this this stuff and they sent you to rehab in Florida. I, w- I was living in Florida. Oh, because they were like, 18. "This is no, this is no good." This Wyoming stuff. Yeah, no. And so they like, sent you to Florida. I send me to Florida. I get a job at Steak and Shake. I was working seventy hours a week, give or take. Yeah. Uh, and are things getting better as far as? drugs and alcohol or not at all they're different now so i i doctor shopped and i had a, a bunch of prescriptions now that were prescribed to me that i would was selling back in wyoming because i didn't want to take them but in florida i didn't have anything else so i started just taking them right and god it, this is like before the real pill crisis right i mean i feel like you're like a on the forefront of yeah abusing um uh what's it called what's the word i'm looking for um prescription prescription meds is that what they say yep i i would definitely uh oxycodon had just came out like maybe like in the last three or four years so yeah and so did you eventually get to oxycontins i was doing oxycontins but it it was a it was expensive and uh, it never was my it never did the thing. I didn't like getting addicted to things uh, to a physical level. Right, I really hated that. Right, interesting. So and it I was bad. So like once you do that like three times, when you get addicted to a drug, you're like, oh, I don't want to do this. Yeah, it's just when I, I would take. I had a buddy who was like really into pill. I mean, particularly Vicodin and and um, what's the other one that's like Vicodin? Uh, oxycodone. Or, yes, which would be Percocet. Right, Percocets. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, yeah, he was like into those. He would always have those, and I always was like in my mind, I was like, I can't have a source. I don't want to be a guy that like is getting them. But when I hung out with him, I was like, sweet, I got a gig with this guy. I'll be able to get some of those. <laughs> and um, it's funny because, you know, I was always so afraid of everything, taking, eating certain foods or, or going certain places or meeting people. But then you had this one guy and he seemed to be functioning OK. And he's like, here, take one of these. And it's fun. And I was like, all right. And I remember thinking like, 
I'm so much less scared just taking a random pill from a random guy <laughs> that I, but I'm so scared to like talk to the gas station attendant when I'm getting yeah, I'm like, right. I, don't yeah. I can't send my food back. But then this guy's like, hey, take this pill. And I'm like, hell yeah, I'll take that. That seems like fun. And then he'd be like, you got to chew it because and I'm just doing whatever this person tells me to do, which I don't even know if that means anything. If you chew a pill, does it actually make it more? Effective? It would hit faster. It also get caught in your teeth. It's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> but, and then we would do that, and like I would have a few beers. And I've always I've said this before. It's like, and I, first of all, I don't want to trigger anybody who might be listening. But I'm like the best I've physically felt in my life, including in sobriety and exercise, is like four beers and a Vicodin. I'm like, this is like unbelievable. I feel unbelievable. Um, the problem is then you chase it and then you fucking pass out at dinner yep. and you fucking feel like shit. And you can't shake a shit for three days. And um, <laughs> all that's all that's in your liver is just like you're damaging your liver. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I do remember being like, this is it, this is unbelievably good. But also thinking to what you're saying is like, I can't do this tomorrow because I'll be off to the races with these pills. Yeah. And and as a person, I would do it for like a week or something. And then get sick. I'd be like, oh, I don't want to do this. Right. Um, but so you're, but it continues to be a problem for you, oh, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 The idea of that, that thought process was so healthy and such a smart thing. But then I would still be like, what if I try it for like three days and then three days I drink and then three days I do pills and then it'd be like, never worked like that. Yeah, I always wonder. I always wish you could see like a a chart. I feel this way with food too, like a chart of like what exactly each thing you put in your body is doing for you. Like, like you could show like you know an approximate death date, and then like you eat a double cheeseburger <laughs> and like see how far it ticks. You know what I mean? Oh God, I would, accurate scorekeeping it would be would be such a pleasure for me because I it's one of the things I love looking at things. I just love looking at a graph. Just show me real data. And I'm like, oh, that's real. That feels good. I think about that all the time. Like anytime I'll eat, I've gotten better about eating fast food, but like I did a gig Saturday and so much of this is like Pavlovian, you know, like I, I did a gig with Greg Stone. We drove to Connecticut. We do the show. We're driving back and it's like those golden arches. You're on the highway. You just did a show. So you get like dopamines and you're like, let's fucking get McDonald's. And it, it it's interesting because I've been sober for a while and you're so a sober guy and but you still see how that mindset oh, works yeah. because I've had experiences where I'm like I'm off fast food I can't eat fast food it's so bad I'm trying to feel good and I'll stand in line with someone getting it talking to them literally saying I'm not going to get it he orders and then I go let me get a number four and I'm like how the fuck that had even happened like Yep. Two feet ago, yep. I was saying I'm not going to have this. So it gives you that window. And that's McDonald's to me. I'm like, I see it. I'm like, fuck it. And everything leaves my brain. Anyways, I always want to see the graph that's like, oh, you just took three hours off your life by eating that double quarter pounder. Yeah, me. I, I always say when people are like, I don't know if I have an addiction problem. I go, well, why don't you just try doing like a low carb diet for a week and then try eating some sugar? on the end of that week see what you're what you do because you will just be like cramp you'll just be like forcing it into your body you're like whoa okay never mind i, I always try, am addicted i try to do a joke for a while and i still do it every once in a while about people have said this about mcdonald's they're like dude if you just quit for like 30 days or, or whatever two weeks and then you have it again 
your body will like reject it. You won't even want it. And I've literally tried that being like, oh, interesting. And then I'm like, what are you insane? Like I eat it. My body's like, fucking yes. Thank God it's back. Like there's no, your body's not rejecting McDonald's. I'm like, that theory sucks. No, you might. The one I noticed once where I go, I try, I I didn't know soda for a year. And then I tried to talk. Dr. Pepper, and it was one of the most sweetest, grossest tasting things. And I love Dr. Pepper. I used to love it. And I was like, I don't know how I did this. Interesting. I haven't had a soda. I quit soda like two years ago now, which is one of like the proudest accomplishments in my life. And I always talk about this because I quit drinking alcohol. But so but as you know, as everyone knows, like drinking alcohol, there's repercussions. I mean, like, I'm like, oh, my God, I texted my ex. I fucking smashed somebody's window. I threw yeah. up. I feel like shit. But with soda, you're never going to like drink a Coke and then, you know, call your mother and be like, you don't love me or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? So but yeah. I know it's it's rotting my teeth. And I, I, I started having a acid reflux problem. And they're like, soda is one of the worst things. So I just like quit cold turkey and. I still struggle like I'm at summertime or it's I was in Texas. We're eating like barbecue, like salty barbecue. And I'm like a Coke with crushed ice would just I, I'd kill for that. But I'm like, no, I, I got to stay off because if I do, I'll, I'll go crazy again. But maybe if I tried it, it'd be all sugary and stuff. But now I don't want to try. It's like, you know, I don't want to start my Coca-Cola day count again. I'm like, oh, I don't want to be I don't want to be two <laughs> days off. I'm two years off of soda, but it's hard. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyways, I went off in a uh, what do you call it tangent there? What the hell? Oh, yeah, so we're so now you're in Florida, and yeah, yeah. at what point are you like, okay, I really have to stop this now? Or you started to get in some legal trouble, is that right? So I had been arrested twice. Um, I was gonna have to fly back to take care of, I got arrested with, uh, for 0.01 micrograms of weed. Um, so I basically, I, I sass mouth a cop that they searched my, my dorm room as hard as they possibly could. Like everything. They like went through every single thing in my dorm room until they found a broken pipe that I had cleaned and they were like, looking at this thing and they were like oh there's a little speck oh wow so they they wanted you oh yeah because i kept on being like there isn't anything here and they would open stuff and i go and there's nothing in there wow all right so they and they arrest you for that and they arrest me for that yeah and did you have to spend like a night in jail were you out pretty quickly i had to go into jail and I had to call my moms and I told them why. And they were obviously infuriated uh, wow. <laughs> because it was like, wait, you got arrested for what? Were they furious with you or that the cops? Well, they just they just assumed I had done. I there was a the reason the cops came. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, well, because sometimes you have those parents, you don't know, like there's the parents that are like, fuck the police for fucking with my kid. You should go do something better. Go find a rapist. You're an assholes. But then there's parents yes. that are like, I can't, I'm so sorry for my son. He's a piece of shit. Well, um, and that was the problem is like, I'd already messed up. I'd already like caused so many problems with my drug use. Right. That day, right. Yeah. You know, you, 
you definitely deserve the cops to get called on you. Right. And so did they, they sent you to rehab? Then I, then I was just, I did a location cure, which was going to Florida. Sure. Um, and then, then I went, then I got put into a psych ward uh, because I threatened to kill myself. Nice. Because I thought that would give me what I wanted. And it turns out they just, it got them what they wanted, which was me out of their, out of their hair for a little bit. Right. And what was the psych ward? Like I had, um, um, Chloe, Chloe LeBranch was on and she talked about being in a psych ward and it's different when I'm like, I'm such a huge fan of one from the cuckoo's nest. And I, I just think <laughs> like, well, I think most people, when they think of psych ward, they think of, you know, 12 monkeys, second 12 monkeys reference and 12 monkeys and cuckoo's <laughs> nest where everything's white and there's padded walls and you're in a straight jacket yeah. and people are, you know, I, I think of Brad Pitt and 12 monkeys, but what, what would, what did that look like? All right. So there's different floors and that's, this is a common thing. So there's the first floor, which is the kind of the, the kind of actually the one where you think from the movies, that's right. the one where you get strapped down and you are, and there's a padded walls and it's, it feels exactly like what you imagine a movie is. And then there's the second floor and that's just kind of like a hospital, but then the front, Doors are locked. Right. So what? how long are you there for? And are they giving you meds or is it like they, they're yeah. teaching you things or are they just kind of letting you be in there to cool down? So I walk in the first first day and they say, what's going on? I go, well, I'm suicidal. They go, they're, or they say I'm suicidal. I'm more, my problem is that I ran out of medication. Right. I just need more medication. They go, oh, what? what meds are you taking? And then I told them I took 300 or no, 30 milligrams of Xanax a day. I don't know. Um, milligrams and stuff. When I had panic disorder, well, they gave me Xanax and I would take one occasionally, but I have no idea the grammage. What you, what you were probably taking was 0.5 to one. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I said I was taking 30 milligrams, which was not what I was taking. I okay. lied on that number. And so for the first week, I was completely blacked out for the entire first week. Wow. So they, that's how much they gave you that much. Well, the problem is if you're on that much, you'll have seizures. If right. they take you down too right. fast. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's funny because Xanax, again, it's a drug I never, well, I guess I did abuse it, but I would take it if I was having a panic attack and it would work, but same deal. If you take it when you're not having a panic attack, you're like, this is pretty nice. Yeah. Um, um, oof. Yeah. I never had a panic attack ever in my life until I did Xanax. Oh, wow. Interesting. That's a real panic attack. If you're panicking through Xanax. Yeah. Well, and that was like, I remember I was like, Oh, because my body started shaking because of the, the detox from it. And right. then I my, like then my the panic part of my body kicked in. So it was like I doubled it down. God, I was like, I am dying. It's so scary when you get into those like like narcotics and then you start you have to like correct it and then you need something else to make that. But and it's just such a work to get yourself at like an even keel. And sometimes when you hear about this or talk about this, you're like, it is like a fucking miracle that people ever get out of that loop. Yeah. 
and it was a full-time job like it's real it, it was it was again it was like a really like a dead-end job like i could not stop the work right at all times god okay so now but you're sober now for a while how long have you been clean for uh oh seven of oh seven of oh five wait wait what oh <laughs> seven of oh five <laughs> oh seven oh seven oh five so oh, oh, oh i seven. see yeah, gotcha. I thought you were saying 07 of 05. <laughs> and I was like, July of 05. I'm like, what? Um, yeah. And so eventually, I assume you went to some kind of rehab and it, it kind of clicked yeah. and started working. Yeah, that's yeah. I went to re I went to I went to the fancy Hazelden rehab, um, which they then proceeded to say they that was way too much for them. And right. then I went to uh, a dual diagnosis place uh, in South Florida. What What does that mean exactly? I've heard that term before. That's like a drug and as well as psychology. Is that what the two diagnoses? Yeah, so they were like, oh, you have a real mental problem. Gotcha. And this. Right. Wow. And so you do all that and now you're, you're clean and sober. What is it like now? Like, do you still deal with anxiety? I assume. And what's, yeah. what's your depression at? Because it's funny in like the movies and stuff, you always hear about like, and then that was the last time I ever drank. And it just feels like, and everything's great now. <laughs> and I, I'm sober a long time, but I go through bouts of depression, including last week where I just, I'm like, I want to fucking kill myself or I have like horrible anxiety. So where are you there now? Um, I do not necessarily always think I have anxiety. And then uh, I will wake up with pieces of my teeth in my mouth uh, because I've grinded so hard when I slept the Jesus. night before. Um, I, yeah, like I, like a lot of times I don't think I have anxiety and then people are like, do, were you going to punch that girl out? And I was like, <laughs> no, but it was like, my hand was like, <laughs> like fully like, Oh, right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny. Cause so much of it to me is like subconscious. I, I don't even feel stressed or anxious. And then um, I'm just like having like headaches every day. And I'm like, I don't know. For some reason I have a headache every day and you know, I'm just like, Oh, I must be stressed or anxious because I've changed the way it looks. I'm not like shaking and having yes. panic attacks or whatever. I feel pretty normal, but so much of it can be so internal, like internally, you're yeah. just stressed out. It's, yes. and, and I think a lot of it comes from, uh, I don't know. Like I have a really hard time. And it, again, it comes down to that graph thing, right? I don't know where, my, what my value is really in the like universal scale and a lot of times i'm just trying to figure what that is so then i can then i can ask people questions right or ask for help right because that's all life is right it's just asking people to help you have a better easier life right but i don't know what where i stand and who i'm supposed to ask that question to right does that make sense where i'm like who am i supposed to talk to about this yeah, exactly. I mean, that makes so much sense to me is that you feel lost so much of the time. I mean, it's interesting. I'm like, sometimes I get overwhelmed because I have so many things that help me. And sometimes I have too many. Like I listen to Sam Harris all the time and his app and I meditate and I'm like, all right, I got to meditate and 
he'll listen. And then I listened to 10% happier podcast with Dan Harris, no relation. And I'm like, okay, I, I need to listen to this. I'll listen to that. And then I'll listen to this thing. And then I'm like, okay, I got yeah. therapy. And like, what did my therapist say? No, wait, what's Sam Harris? And then I'm like getting all yes. this stuff. And then I'm like, let me call some like-minded friends and I'll talk to them. And I'm like, right, that makes sense. But I actually get overwhelmed with what I perceive as right. solution. And, that, and that's how I feel, where I go, I have a really hard time figuring out who and wh where I'm supposed to get that help from. And yeah. that's where most of my anxiety comes from. Because I'm like, is, is this a person I can ask for help? Mm, I don't know. Maybe maybe they'll offer it. And then I sit, and that's where the anxiety is. Or I'm like, no one's offering me any help, even though I haven't asked for any help. But I really need help because this is not okay. It's, <laughs> it's yeah. awful. That's a tricky thing to me because there, there's so often where you're like, I'm not getting what I need from this, but I'm not also saying what I need. I'm just like, <laughs> I, I call, you know, whoever. And I'm like, yeah, I'm really just depressed. And they're like, ah, that sucks. And I'm like, why aren't you offering me something? <laughs> and then you're like, what well, I should call and be like, I need you to tell me this right now, please. And mean it. Um, right yeah and and, and so, there is something about like hey you know you can there's people who really like you and you can just ask them for the things you want and then you can find out what they do when you ask for that right right and then you know that that's the person you're supposed to go to when that thing happens right that's all it takes but oh man that fear of them doing it like being like Wow, he's that guy. He's the guy who always does that, huh? He's right. The guy who he's just—he's demanding things from me. It well, and there's also like no worse feeling than when you're like, I need something. I'm calling because I'm desperate and I feel like shit. But then the person is just unaware of that, so they're like, Yeah, I went to the movies the other day. I saw this fucking movie. It's a piece <laughs> of shit. And then you're just like, Oh, I want to talk about my existential crisis but they're like i watched godzilla versus king kong and man it stinks and i'm like i want to kill myself and then i'll yeah. end up like getting off the phone and being like all right that that was that missed and then i just sink deeper yeah. um, i so i i call up you know whatever uh my my buddy the other day and i was like what you what do you think i'm supposed to be doing what do you think like like am i supposed to be doing with my free time right now being that there's no less work for me to do, what am I supposed to actually be doing? And he goes, you should really care and spend time with your family and give them more time. And I was like, shut up. Right. You're like, <laughs> no, that's not it. Um, but don't that's something healthy thing. I don't want that. I want work. Yeah. That's how I, I, I struggle with this all the time. And I talk about it <clears throat> constantly, but I always feel like, there's this is like the biggest thing I have to overcome in, in therapy and whatever is I always feel like there's a right thing to be doing at every moment. Yes. So I'm like doing pushups and I'm like, what am I doing? This is so vain. I should be calling my mother or I'll, I'll, I'll call a buddy and I'm yeah. like, no, I should be watching a movie. I, I've already had this yeah. conversation. And if I'm watching a movie, I'm watching the wrong movie. And if I'm listening to a podcast, yeah. I should be watching a documentary. And somehow I have to give up on the idea that there's like an exact thing I should be doing. Is that yeah. relatable? That's exactly it. That's it. Right. There's not like the idea that I'm not doing the right thing and you're not giving me the right advice is like, what's the point of me going and doing, asking that question. If I'm already know I'm not going to get what I need from it. Yeah. And it's funny because 
it's life is just filled with these um uh i'm losing the word i lose words all the time which i guess is like a there's a word for losing words but not oxymoron but uh it's it's a uh, what's that thing with there's dissonance catch 22 i don't know i'll think of it later but i'll, I'll plug it in and post but <laughs> It's like when my schedule is full, I'm so stressed. I'm like, I got three podcasts. I got to do this gig and I have to have them. I got to meet with these people. And then I'm like, I just, the whole time, I just want nothing on my schedule. And then when I have nothing on my schedule, I'm like, that's the worst I could possibly be. Yeah. Then I just completely lose my mind. So it's like, I, I'm best with the full schedule, but I'm also most stressed with the full schedule. By the way, I'm sure there's a bunch of people that like, do roofing work in in fucking texas that'll listen to this being like fuck both these guys i hope they die <laughs> like i'm doing manual labor for 12 hours a day i apologize um but we probably have the same problem but it looks different yeah but yeah i feel like everyone has this problem i just feel like i have the time to think about how to say it out loud right exactly that's a that's a great way to put it but i think it's also my therapist always says everything's learned behavior and for me, my mother was like a, a workaholic kind of OCD, always moving, always cleaning. Never. My mother like never, not never, but almost never is like has her feet up, you know, having a cocktail. She's always cleaning something or calling somebody or dealing with some problem. So I've, I've kind of taken that on of like I should be helping somebody or painting yeah. or, or cleaning or whatever it is. My mom called me recently and was like, hey. I'm thinking about retiring. And I go, and I was like, no, <laughs> I go, well, you're not going to retire. You're just going to get another thing. Right. So it's like, it, it's okay to do something else, but I just can't imagine you not doing anything. It's just, this seems very, very unlikely. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm able to do it. If that is, the thing like if we go on vacation or something like that i'm like all right this is i'm out and i'm able to kind of um relax a little bit if that's the thing but to me it's just like a weekday at home i just cannot do it even like it was like opening day baseball opening day the other day and i'm like great here we i'm just gonna sit and watch baseball and then like three pitches in i'm like i'll do push-ups in between innings i'll meditate during the uh, at bat and it's just i don't know it's just torturous yeah the yeah my mom comes like when she was did come for uh like vacations it was the most busy i've ever been in new york City. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah it's uh, and another thing i have is that would help is i have to let go of this idea that someday i'm gonna be a fucking tibetan monk like I, i've always yeah. had it since i was a kid that i'm like there'll be a point where i have no more worries and i'm just like this zen guy and i have to be like no nah, no that's not who i am or and it's not who even tibetan monks aren't that no. they aren't they have to like you know whatever they yeah. have problems there's this video of um the rapper logic and it's on this like documentary about hip-hop and it's a video of him like after a show and he's like, it's uh whatever it's 10. He's performing for like 10,000 people and he gets off stage and he just was like, I just really worried if I grind all the way to the top that it wouldn't feel good. And then he looks in the camera and then he just starts bawling and he goes, but it really does feel as good as I thought it was going to. And I, 
took that so internally where I was like, that'll be me someday. If right. I can get to the thing I need, like if I can get to that, the, the most insane vision goal, right. finally, finally I can let myself just cry and be happy for where I'm at. Yeah, I remember thinking that, saying this, this is like my big theory in comedy for a long time. I was like, acting is the thing. Like, we should be actors because an actor can work and then he can win the Oscar. And then that's that moment where like after that, it's like whatever. But there is nothing like that in comedy. And now I'm like, realize I'm like, yeah, they win an Oscar and then they just have another gig. <laughs> it's not like they're just like, OK, yeah, it's a yeah. fucking award that like people voted on and it's bullshit. It's like, oh, <laughs> right. I, you, but you always have that idea of like this other profession, that other person. They have it. I can't figure it out. Yeah, they can. Yeah. It- and the, just the it feels so good now that I'm done. I'm there. It's like that's not going to ever happen. I'm never going to do. I'm never going to be that guy. That guy probably cries all the time. For, yeah. Because when good things happen, I that's just not who I am. Yeah, absolutely. So, I think in closing, we're doing great. I think we had. I think we came to a good place here. <laughs> we're doing fine, and and it yeah. really is. I, I I say this all the time, but I'm like I'm really into like Buddhism and therapy. And recovery and all these things are just it's all becomes about acceptance and then letting go of ego. Like there's this common thread through everything that helps me that I'm really interested in. The common thread is sort of acceptance and and letting go of ego, which is obviously very difficult. Um, There's this um, great Alan Watts uh, quote that I love. I I say quote, but I always get it wrong. But he's like, I wonder what percentage of me has heard of me. And I really love the idea that like this, like this small piece of our brain is like, I'm Joe List. I have a podcast. I have this many followers and these are my parents. And the rest of your body is just like a, this functioning, um, whatever, uh, being that doesn't give a shit about, you know, Twitter or YouTube comments or uh, whatever it is. Yeah. And, and my, and, and I think the thing I think about is just, it's like, no, at the end of the day, you're going to be dead and it's all just about the body of work you put out. And so stop thinking. It's it's like your art, you can't decipher your art until a hundred years past when you're dead. Right. So we shouldn't worry about any of this. Who cares? This, there's so many times where I'm, <laughs> I'm reading some Buddhist book or listening and they're like, worry doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, yeah. And for like a minute, not even a minute, like 10 seconds, I'm like, this makes perfect sense. I feel amazing. And then, you know, your brain is like, man, you had a hot dog yesterday. That probably has cancer. And you're like, fuck. But, um, anyways, Lucas, this was great, man. I really appreciate yeah. it. Anything you wanted to uh, add or, or say that we didn't get to? No, I, I, this was a good, this was a good, uh, a good combo. Yeah, I, I agree. What, uh, where can people find you? Just plug your, uh, your shit here. Uh, uh, at Lovable Lucas on Twitter, uh, and at Lovable Lucas one, I, that motherfucker Lu- Lovable Lucas at Lovable Lucas on Instagram won't give it to me. I oh, hate him. Son of a bitch. <laughs> um, all right, check it out. And then, do you have a podcast? Are you a comedian with no podcast? I'm one of the comedians with. I had a podcast, and we just split up. So now I'm in the stage of uh, having to figure out my solo podcast. Wow, you are really in the minority here. Um. I'm really so sad about it. I'm gonna be honest. I, I, it was a really good one, and I uh, can't believe it's over. So, wow. All right, um, that's happening a lot right now. Sarah just ended her Vag podcast, and um, there's another kind of biggish. There's like three 
podcast that I know of friends of mine that just ended their podcast. So I think it's just that everybody had a lot of time to reflect. You yeah. Know? And uh, they were just, it's, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. I might start trying to go to every other week because I got too many right now. But, Anyways, this was great. We'll figure it out. But uh, this was awesome. Lucas, thanks, man. I really enjoyed the hell out of this. And uh, I'm sure people got a lot out of it. So thanks for being here, man. Thanks. Mindful Metal Jacket is hosted by comedian Joe List. Produced by Joe List. Edited by Matt Kleinschmidt. Executive producers Robert Kelly and Matt Kleinschmidt for the Laugh Button Podcast.